we see in 1 John, as we pick up here in chapter 2, follow along with me in these first 11 verses. John says to his readers here, to you and I this day, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. You do know that includes you and I. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him or her. But whoever keeps his words truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. As we take a look at our scripture here today, and if you were watching and following along last week, we find that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, working and giving these words to John to write down for you and I and for his readers of those days, the truth of who he is. We see so far in this letter from John the eternal importance of a true relationship with God. That born-again experience, that regeneration that happened where you were dead and now alive. Dead in the Spirit, now alive in the Spirit. One that was alienated, completely no relationship with God. But now you have a relationship, a personal relationship with God. But that doesn't start, stop there. It starts with, there, with that relationship with God, that new relationship. But then we need to continue with the fellowship with God. And we spoke about last week, the fact that you can confess your sins because you will get spotted up because you're not perfect. You'll get spotted up by this world and by the flesh and the things of this world all around you. And you need to be washed you remember that day when Jesus was with his disciples and, and he just humbled himself and he wrapped himself and to go down on his, on, his, on his hands and knees to wash the feet of his disciples. And he's come around to Peter and Peter says, I don't wash me. No way. He says, Peter, if I don't wash you, then you'll have nothing to do with me. 
You know, what did Peter do? Oh, no, no, give me a whole bath, man. <laughs> don't, 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 I want everything about you. He says, once you've been washed, you've been washed, but your hands and your feet occasionally need to get washed because you've been spotted up by the, the sin. It's a relationship he's establishing there. But not only do you have that relationship with God, but you need that fellowship with God daily. And today we're going to see how important it is that we need to fel- that fellowship or that relationship in him. This relationship is possible to have a close, close relationship with God Almighty of the universe. The one who created you in, the, in your mother's womb. This relationship, that God. In verse 4 of chapter 1, we see that John writes to believers these things they have seen and heard directly from Jesus Christ himself. He says, why did I write this? Because so your, your joy may be full. Why am I writing this letter to you? Because I want you to be filled with joy. How important it is to be filled with the joy of the Lord. Happiness comes and goes with the weather. Or if you stubbed your toe this morning. But the joy of the Lord will be your strength to live this life that we live. Today we see in chapter 2, verse 1, another reason why he wrote this letter. John writes these things to believers so that you and I may not sin. That you don't have to sin. You can know that you can overcome the sin that seems to always grip a hold of your show back up its ugly face. That God is saying he can make a way for you not to sin. And And that relationship is possible. It is possible. As far, regardless of how you feel right now, that you don't think you'll ever overcome some of the things that you're challenged with in your mind. God says it is possible to have a relationship with him that you do not have to sin. Last week, we remember we left in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That truth applies to you and I. This truth is made possible by Jesus Christ, God's Son, the Savior of the world who died on the cross for our sins. We see that in verse 7, that His blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Christ took the sins of the people and was punished for those sins as if He had been Himself a sinner. And so sin is taken away from us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who know no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How did that happen? How did he become sin for us? While on one hand, the verse states the simple gospel truth that Jesus took upon himself, the sins of the world upon him. It also makes a somewhat mysterious statement here. How exactly did God make Jesus to be sin for us? Well, 
Here's the truth. He became sin for us. What it does not mean, and make make sure I'm very clear with this, what it does not mean is that Jesus actually was sin itself. No, it's not. It does not mean he became a sinner because he did not commit sin. He is not guilty of actual sin. He was sinless. The proper interpretation can only be found in the doctrine of imputation. And this imputation is seen at the very end of this verse as 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. To impute something is to ascribe or attribute it to someone. That's what it means. So on the cross, our sin was imputed or attributed to Christ. That that is how Christ paid our sin debt to God. He had no sin in himself. He didn't commit sin. He wasn't a sinner like you. But our sins were attributed to him. Guilty by association, as they may say. I didn't do it. I know, but you're there with him. But I didn't do it, but you were in the car with them. But I didn't do it. I wasn't carrying the gun. I wasn't. See, there's an attribution or an ascribe to Jesus of your sins and my sins. And that is how Christ paid our sins debt to God. He had no sin in himself, but our sin was imputed to him so. As he suffered, he took the just penalty that our sin deserves. And at the same time, do not forget this part. At the same time, through faith... Jesus Christ's righteousness was imputed to you. The attributes of his righteousness was imputed to you. And now you became righteous. Because of that relationship. It's possible. Are you righteous? Absolutely not. Because you've done nothing righteous in your entire life. But because of the relationship that is possible in Jesus Christ, his attributes of righteousness is imputed to you and me personally. It's his robe of righteousness that makes you righteous. But don't forget, it was my sin and your sin. It was attributed and placed on him. But because he was perfect, he was the only one who could die and satisfy the wrath of of God, of that sin. You could not pay that penalty. You couldn't go to the cross. But Jesus says, I am perfect, and I will do it. And on that cross, when God the Father placed the sin of the world, all of our sins, past, present, and future, onto his Son, attributing to him as if he had sinned, 
as if he had sinned. Don't forget that six-hour period of time on that cross that he went there for you. And it was in that three hours of complete darkness that God satisfied your sin, my sin. So that we become sinless in the eyes of God. And that the Father separated, turned his face away from the Son because he cannot look upon sin. And Jesus did that for you. Why? Why, my brothers and sisters, why? Because he loves you. He made a relationship possible for you to love you and for us to love him. Apart from him, my brother, apart from him, my sister, you will never experience the love of God. Do you see why the, it's a good news for you and I? We can experience the agape love, the unconditional love that only God can impart in you. The the imparting of his righteousness and his love. Do you see how passionate John is as he starts off here and he speaks to, as here in chapter two, my little children, he's a hundred years old at this point. He's, he, we're all children. <laughs> he, my little children, I need you to hear these things from me. That God made him to be sin for us. It means Jesus was, although sinless, was treated as if he were not. Although he remained holy. He was regarded as guilty of all the sin of the world. Through this imputation of our sin to him, he became our substitute, the recipient of God's judgment against sin of this world. But having saved those who believe, he is now our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption, we see in 1 Corinthians 1.30. And there is no other way, there is no other religion, there is no other person that can do that for you. And that's why we see in 1 John 2, 1 here, my little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. The passion of a man, a shepherd, a pastor to his flock. Oh, I love you so dearly. I'm writing these things to you because I don't want you to sin. You don't have to sin. These things I write to you. Well, we saw in verse 8 of chapter 1, it made it clear that sin is a fact. That sin is a fact. In some cases, at least an occasional fact for some of you because you're growing and maturing and you don't sin like you used to. 
And now you have avoided at all costs. You, you, you do every day. You're just like, Lord, don't let anything. I don't want to anything. Keep the temptations away. Keep everything away. Lord, I want to keep my mind set upon you. We see that truth, these things that God showed and, and lived and, and showed John and all the apostles and made it clear to the sin is a fact. And in, in the life of a Christian, that's going to happen. And in verse 9, he says it makes it clear that there is always forgiveness for that sin. That you can be confessed that sin, you can actually be forgiven. Yet John wants it also to be clear that Christians should be concerned about sin in their lives. Just because you're a Christian can't say, okay, then no big deal. I've been forgiven. I'm going to heaven. I can just sin and do whatever I want to do and live however I want to do and think however I want to do. I'm accepted by God. I'm going to heaven. He's saying right here, you as a Christian must be concerned if there's sin that dabbles around into your life. As a Christian, you can't have habitual sin. If you have habitual sin, don't call yourself a Christian. We see that in the scriptures. You should self-examine and realize you're probably not saved. Don't fool yourself. If you readily want the sin and love the sin and continue to... No, no, if you're a Christian, that's changed. There should have been a regeneration, a change of whole mindset when it comes to sin. If you're a non-believer, you're sitting there going, I don't, I, I don't see a problem with what I do. I think it's fine. It's okay. Well, keep listening. Because the Spirit of God is going to change that mindset if you allow Him. Christians, we should be concerned about sin in our lives. One of the reasons writing this letter, he says, is that you may not sin. John previously rebuked the idea that we could become sinless perfect. That, he rebuked that because sometimes people say, well, I never, there's no such thing as sin. No, no, verse, verse 8, he says, no, there's sin. At the same time, he wants to make it clear that we do not have to sin because God does not make a believer sin. God will never make you sin. This is God's desire for you and I as a believer. If sin is inevitable for us, it is not because God has declared that it is a must sin. All the resources, all the resources that God has given us for spiritual victory has been given to us for ours through Christ Jesus. All the resources necessary is there that we can draw from. He never draws those resources from us. He always makes them available to you. But here John addresses this because of the issue of the relationship with God, verse 3 of chapter 1. And the fact that this sin can break our fellowship with God, verse 6 of chapter 1. Now he wants us to make it very clear that relationship is possible in him. That you can have a close relationship that sin does not dominate and get involved with and, and break up that fellowship with God. That you can live up this peaceful and joyful life in Christ. It's possible. God has not made a system where he must, we must break up fellowship with him through sin. He, he doesn't create those systems to do that. He actually hinders, he makes a way out of every temptation that Satan and everything comes against you. He makes ways. 
The question is, are you, are you listening? Are you watching? Do you know his still small voice when he's whispering? Uh-oh, watch that guy. Oh, watch that situation. Oh, don't, don't turn that TV on. No, no, no. You don't need that cell phone right now. Mm-mm. And those little voices that God says to you, don't do it, don't touch it. Listen, be obedient. Out of love for him, be obedient. Don't touch you. No touchy. And he continues in there in verse 1. And if anyone sins, ah, here's the good news, my brothers and sisters. Look at this. Not only, does, not only does he say he doesn't want you to sin, but look at it. He, he didn't sit there and say, go figure this out on your own. He says right here, if anyone sins, we have an advocate. In your Bible, it should be a capital A. It means deity. It means Jesus Christ, our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Notice those two things here in verse 1 and 2. You have an advocate to help you. We have someone who has paid the price for the sin. He had the propitiation. He paid your debt. An advocate. God desires that you may not sin. Yet if we do, there is a provision made. An advocate, a defense lawyer who's always on your side to present your case. Always representing you. Our advocate is Jesus Christ himself. John understood that there would not be anyone perfect. None of us are perfect. We all need help. Jesus is our defender. Even when we sin now, he's still our advocate to the Father for us. God is not shocked by our human behavior. You don't have to go figure out your human behavior. It's very simple why we have behavioral issues. It's called, it's called sin. You don't, are you hearing me? Your behavioral health issues is because he says, if you have something that is causing you, your relationship to be hindered with God the Father, examine your life and figure out what it is that's hindering that relationship. And watch the Spirit of God bring to light things in your life that needs to change. Past issues, present issues, Fear of the future, of the unknown. He says, come to me. You're laboring over those things? Come to me. You're anxiety-filled about those things? Come to me. You find yourself sensing that you're in darkness right now? Come to me. Come to the light. I'm light. Because you have an advocate. I have an advocate. He defends us. He represents us. 
He's not shocked by human behavior. He has seen it all in advance. He sees and knows everything. He doesn't forget us at the time to, to, to sit there and look at our lives and say, oh, I can't believe this. I gave you a way out. I've forgiven you. And now I'm looking at your life. Look, 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 look what they've done. If I only known that Corey was going to do that again, I would have never even started with this guy. I would never have gone to the cross for Corey if I had known he was going to do it a second time or a third time or a fourth time. His forgiveness is available to us now. Don't forget, forgiveness is available to you now regardless of what you've done. Do you receive his forgiveness? <laughs> you must re receive his forgiveness, my brothers and sisters. If you want that squirreliness that's going on in your head in your life to settle down, you really need to focus on forgiveness. Forgiveness of other people but also the fact that God has forgiven you. If he's shown you that much love, of agape love, how could you not show that back to those around you? We may think that our sin sets God against us. Oh, you sinned. God is really angry now. He is solely against you, man. He is going to just, he's going to thump you. That's not true. God loves you. God's love is so great that his, in his love, he went to the ultimate measure to make sure you and I are able to stand in the face of his holy righteousness. It's through Jesus, by faith, God can be for us even when we are guilty sinners. He is still for you. A human defense lawyer argues for the innocence of his client. And that defense lawyer may lie through his teeth to try to get you as his client to be set free. But that's not who our advocate is. Our defense lawyer doesn't sit up there and lie about trying to get you out of it. Our advocate, Jesus Christ, admits our guilt in front of the judge. Then he turns around and he enters a plea for you by actually plead on his own behalf. As the one who has made an atoning sacrifice for our sinful guilt. He turns to the judge and says, Father, I know the other lawyer over there who's accusing my client. Satan is accusing my client day and night, the scripture says. We see that in Revelation 12, 10. And he's constantly, constantly accusing 
that man or that woman of all their guilt and all their shame and all their sins they've ever committed. But Father, judge, I plead for him, for her. I will take the punishment that is due him, due her. And the judge says, case dismissed. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. You get to set, be set free from all that sin. Do you get it? Are you getting it? Do you believe it? Because as we live our life as a Christian, if we don't constantly believe that Jesus paid for your sin daily, you're going to start going off track on your Christian walk. You're going to, you're going, you're going to not think this relationship with God, this personal relationship is possible. You're going to start doubting your, your salvation. You'll start doubting this. You'll start doubting his love. You'll start doubting. That's how the enemy works, and you cannot allow that to happen. You have got to stay strong in the truths of the word of God and let the word of God just cleanse you by coming and confessing the things that are still lingering in your life. He hasn't gotten to that part of your life. Remember, he's gracious and he's long-suffering and he's working on you in every aspect of your life. But I assure you, if you have any sin that dangles out there that's still kind of playing, he's going to deal with it. He's going to bring it very clear to you that this is not to be in your life. As a child of God, that's not to be in there. Why? Because he loves you. He knows it will destroy you. He'll destroy your family, destroy your relationships. He knows it's not good for you mentally, spiritually, physically. It's got to go. Jesus Christ the righteous means that Jesus is fully qualified to serve as our advocate. Because he himself is sinlessly perfect and he has passed heaven's bar exam and is able to represent you without any assistance. Especially your assistance. He's qualified to represent clients in the heaven's court of law. You need an advocate, I need an advocate, and you have an advocate in Jesus Christ. You also have to understand that Satan accuses us before God the Father day and night, night and day, constantly throwing accusations about all the things you've done wrong. We need to distinguish between the, de the demonic, the, the condemnating type accusations of Satan upon you. You must understand what that looks like versus the loving conviction of the Holy Spirit. You need to grow up and mature. That's why you're here, to learn the Word of God. So you can distinguish when the accusation of condemnations coming against you versus the conviction of the Holy Spirit telling you. And if this does not make sense to you, please come see me. 
please do not stop from coming to see me or one of your brothers or sisters. I assure you, they will be happy to share the truth of God with you to help you distinguish between the two. Here's a simple lesson for you to understand the difference. When you get something from your past that comes against you and it causes you to say in your mind, I need to walk away from God. I got to walk away from God's people. I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to pray. I, need to, I don't need to go to church. I don't need any. I'm going to walk away from God. You know it's from Satan. But if the same thing pops in your life about some sin and it says you need to run to Jesus, your advocate. You need to run to God right now. You need to start praying. You need to, you need to get around God's people. You need to get to church. You need to open that Bible. Then you know that it's conviction. And conviction's good. <laughs> I know you don't like that. But conviction's good. Because that means the loving hand of God is the Spirit of God is touching you to remind you, ah, let, the, let that sin thing fall, that, that thing that you just came in your mind, walk away from it. Walk away from it. Confess that you need to walk, just walk away from that. But I've tried, Pastor, I've tried. Now rely upon the Holy Spirit now to give you the power to walk away from it. Because the scripture is clear, if you walk in the spirit and truth, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. All those programs that are out there, I can help you with all your little problems. I can give you one, one step. Let me introduce you to Jesus and teach you how to walk in the spirit and truth and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You just haven't been taught, my brother or sister. That's why you're here. He's also not only your advocate, but he's also our propitiation for our sins. It means that Jesus is the one who atones for and takes away our sins. Not only our sins, but the, also the sin of the world. See, the tactic of our defense lawyer is not one to manipulate the evidence to try to get you free. He's not the one to make excuses for your sin. He puts it right out there. Yes, this is, this is wicked sin. It's completely against your father. He's not one who's going to shift blame on someone else. The woman made me do it. No, no. He's not even going to say the devil made him do it. He's going to say, yes, he or she did it. And I paid for it. He's set free. She is set free. No, our advocate bases his entire case upon the fact that he is the propitiation, the payment for our sins in full. 100% of it. He took upon himself the righteous indignation of the Father. He drank the cup of wrath. That was for you. That was for me. He says, I'll drink that cup for him. I'll drink that cup for her. Because I love him that much. 
Not only ours, but the whole world. It's through Jesus made his propitiation for the world. But that does not mean the whole world is saved. The whole world is not saved and is not in fellowship with God. This is because atonement does not equal forgiveness. He's atoned. He's made a way to have a oneness, a relationship with God. But sin separates you. You must acknowledge you're a sinner that needs to be saved. You have to acknowledge that Jesus is the only one who could pay that price of your sin. And accept him in your life. To be forgiven. So many out there today, because they take this truth, they don't through the whole truth, and they say, oh, God is love, and that means I can live however I want. He accepts me however I want. I can just live and play, and just... No, my brothers, don't be deceived by the false teachings. God is love, but he is also a God of just. Don't separate those two things. He's made a way to be atoned, to have that relationship with God again. But sin separates, and you have to acknowledge you must confess that you're a sinner. Acknowledge you want to be changed. Acknowledge you want to be saved. Desire that you want to be saved. Desire that you want sin out of your life. Do you know how many Christians are out there who say I'm a Christian but have no desire for sin to come out of their life? Don't be deceived. John continues here, because in Matthew 12, 31, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. The one sin that will not be forgiven is the sin that separates man from God presently, and that is, and will be damning him, it will be damning you eternally if you continue to repeat and refuse to listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to one's heart, saying to you, and he may be saying this to you right now, that you need a Savior. Is God talking to you right now saying you need a Savior? If he is speaking to you right now saying you need a Savior, confess right now that yes, you're a sinner and I need you, Jesus Christ, as my Savior, and I surrender my life now. Jesus paid the price for your sin. Accept his free gift of salvation, because he's handing it right to you right now. If you've never grabbed a hold of that gift of salvation, he's, he's holding it out to you. He's always holding it to you. Your whole life, he's been knocking at the door. You peek out that little door, and you see who that is, and you shut the door right back up. I'm saying, don't shut the door this time. Open the door, because he's standing right there with the gift of salvation to you for see if you will choose to receive that gift. Do you remember the day when you received that gift? Do you remember the day of salvation when... You did open that door and you said, yes, I want that gift. Yes, 
Remember that changed life? For many of us, 100-pound gorillas came off our back. Of all the guilt and shame was wiped out. We've been free. Woo! I can remember that. Revelation 22:17 says John was clearly affirming this view that Christ genuinely died for everyone. Not just some. Everyone. And it's, this does not mean, of course, that everyone will be saved. It means that everyone who hears the gospel, the truth, can be saved if he or she desires. And what will be the result? You'll have this relationship that you thought was impossible now to be possible. And there'll be a fruit that will come from this. It'll be such a beautiful... He says in verse 3, Now by this, by this, if you receive him, if you acknowledge the fact that you have an advocate who speaks on your behalf, who represents you, he paid it all. Propitiation, he just absolutely wiped your, your entire guilty record clean like you have no criminal record now by this we know that we know him you know you can have this this relationship is possible to know him to call him friend if we keep his commandments, if we would just choose to follow and do, be obedient in his will, to do his will. Verse 4, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Don't be like that, John's saying to his readers and to us today. Don't be saying that you're a Christian. Don't be saying that you you have a relationship with God when you desire to follow your own will. To do your own thing. To make your own way. No, no. If you really have a relationship with him, if you have been born again, regenerated, you will not desire anything of of your will. You desire more and more as you grow and mature, more and more of his will in your life. Die of self and more of him. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, keeps his commandment, follows his word, listens and obeys. That's why we study the word, so we know it. But whoever keeps his word truly, truly, the love of God is perfected in him. Oh, I love that verse. This is the first time we see the word love in this epistle. It's right here. Truly the love of God is perfected in him and her or her. But this we know, that we are in him. How do you know you have a relationship with him? Because the fact that his word says, if you will just... Be obedient, follow his will according to his word of God. Not religiosity, not some religious organization, none of that. The word of God. You can truly know that the love of God has perfected you, my brother and sister. 
by this, this relationship is possible to know him. To know him in a deep and personal way. But verse 6, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So it's not just knowledge that we're talking about, John is saying. It's just because you can quote the Bible is not what he's talking about here. He's saying to know the word and to apply it and to abide in him, to stay close, to be grafted in like the vine to the branch, or the branch to the vine. That we see the fact that John is speaking of, of enjoying this communion with God, this, this whole first section and even this section 3 through 11. John goes on talking about obeying the commandments and knowing the word and being close to the word and abiding in him and, and his will. That there was a result that's going to come from a love that's just going to overflow in your life of his perfect love. But that's why he says here, the evidence of someone knowing God, having a fellowship with him, is all about your walk. How are you walking? What you do in your normal day-to-day life, going in and out day and night, does your walk, how you behave, how you think, how you react, how you speak, what does it line up with the word of God? Because if you have a relationship with him and you're abiding in him, your walk should be in line with what the word of God looks like. Now, you're growing You just gave your life to Christ. You're not going to walk like Jesus and you're going to grow, but that's called the sanctification process. But your today should be walking more like Christ today if you've been saved six months or a year or five years or ten. You should be walking more like, people should look at your life and go, man, did you hear his words? Did you hear her words? Did you see how they reacted to that situation? Man, you'd be just like what they said to the disciples. You've been with Jesus, haven't you? You've been, you've been with Jesus. What we would say today is, oh, you've been in the word. Woo! Because the, the, his word is just coming right off your lips and, and, and applying pr- uh, properly in, in context and everything to the situation. God was using you and just your love is overflowing. I, you know he's been in the word. You know she's been in fellowship. You know she's been spending time with God. Because you can just sense the perfect love that he's placed in you or her. You know you've been spending time with God just by just spending time with you. I, we can tell. The evidence is clear. Simple, loving obedience is a natural result of a fellowship with God. We have a gracious advocate in heaven. We have an open invitation to restoration through confession. 
Yet these things do not make the converted man careless about the commandments, careless about not watching and following the word of God. No, no, no. We don't use the advocate to say he'll cover for me so I can live my life of sin. That's not how it works. God wants to change your mind. The scripture refers to it as your heart. He wants to change your heart as, in, in, as he works in and through you if you just allow him. But if you don't want to allow him to, in, in the word of God to transform you, don't. He, I, this is not my words. I'm just repeating what he says. John, by the Holy Spirit, says, you're a liar. I know that's not sensitive, you know, spirit, you know, seeker sensitive kind of a comment right there right now, but I'm just going to tell you what the word of God says to you. So if it, it hurt a little bit, talk to God about that. Because someone may have never told you that. I'm just telling you. John is not... He's, not, he's writing this because he says, I want you to have the fullness of joy of God in your life as a Christian. Most Christians do not have, are not filled with joy. And he says, I, I don't want you to sin. That's why I'm writing this letter. I don't want you to sin. Because that will take your joy and it will take that and break up that fellowship, that relationship with God in a way that's not going to be good. And, and you're, I don't want, I'm, I'm going to tell you because no one else is going to tell you, John says. You're a liar if you think you can live in sin and act like you're, like you're in the world and there's no big deal and still think you're a Christian. I'm going to call it out on you. Because out of love, I love you. I, as a shepherd, as a pastor, I cannot tell you that everything is going to be fine. Because it's not going to be fine for you. You're going to have a miserable Christian life. But you have an advocate. The one who is your propitiation. Who's made a way that through confession you can be cleansed. Because my brothers and sisters, he understood that you're not going to be perfect, but his, his love is perfect. As you mature, spiritually mature, for the, the love of God is going to show itself in it through the obedience of the word of God. It's going to start coming out. The presence of God is going to start flowing through you. The spirit of God is going to, like living water, people are going to be so refreshed around you. Right now, you're draining people. Every time you're around, someone's around you, you just drain them. Now, as you're living for God, all of a sudden, the spirit of God is flowing through you. You're being refreshed to people people can't get enough of you <laughs> can't get enough of you why because you're so refreshing in your life because the spirit of God is feeding through them to their spirit through you and when this happens by this we know we are in him how do we know this when one becomes a Christian there is a change in his relationship with sin I used to love sin. I used to look to do the sin. I craved that sin. Now as a Christian, I hate the sin. It turns my stomach to sin. I can't wait to get eliminate this out of my life. I don't want it any longer. I used to be in the first six months. Lord, can, is there a way for you to miraculously take this brain out and give me a, someone else's brain? I'm one that's a little smarter. But on a brain that has none of that stuff I ever did ever in my brain. 
I need a fresh brain. I don't want to think of these things anymore. But he reminded me, Ab, Corey, I've made a way. Through the reading of my word, I will transform your mind, Corey. I don't need to have a brain transplant. I'm just going to do a work in your life. Your brain is going to transform. You don't have to worry about these things, Corey. I got it taken care of. So you're going to want to eliminate, as a believer, you want nothing of sin in your life. You want more of God and less of you and less of sin. It will change you. A Christian will no longer love sin as he once did. He'll, a Christian will no longer brag about his sin like he once did. A Christian will no longer plan to sin as he once did. A Christian no longer enjoys remembering his sin as he once did. A Christian will never in, fully enjoy his sin as he once did. A Christian will no longer be comforted in habitual sin any longer. He will no longer be that way. You'll be transformed because you're abiding in him. You're walking with him. A lives of obedience and love will dominate you. We're not in, called to um, imitate um, the way Jesus walked on the water, right? Sometimes people get a little squirrely and they go, they're really highly religious and say, I'm going to, by faith, I'm going out here and I'm going to walk on water. Just God didn't call you to do that. But he's called you and I for everyday walk with God the Father. A spiritual power that's evident in the life of Jesus, flowing from faithful, regular, disciplined life of fellowship and obedience with the Heavenly Father. That is what he's called us to do. John says, brethren, I write no new commandment to you but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word. You've heard the word. I've, 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 you've been given the word. You've known the word. As a Christian, when you got saved, you've been given the word over and over and over. I've been talking. Jesus gave us the word. We've been giving you the word. You know the word. You've heard it from the beginning. And again, a new commandment I write to you which... Thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. God lives inside you and the darkness of sin is fading away and the bright light of Jesus is coming more and more apparent in your life. Don't hinder that. Don't hinder God's light inside you to be bright because you've dirtied it up. I always had a vision. It's like car lights, you know. They, oh, look how bright your lights are. And then you get some dirt on those lights. They're not so bright anymore. They're pretty dim. Until you go out there and go, clean it off again. Verse 9, he who says he is, he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness until now. So he shifts here. He goes, you want to know these things, that, the truths here if you're a Christian? 
you're going to love God because you're obedient. You spend time with me. You desire more of me. That is why it's evident that you're a Christian, a true Christian. Maybe rephrase that. You're a born-again believer. You're a child of God. Let me rephrase that. I don't want any confusion here. Just because you call yourself a Christian does not make yourself a Christian. Are you a born-again believer? Then he shifts here in verse 9. It says, if he who says he's in the light, that you're a born-again believer, but hates his brother, is in darkness until now. Until now. It's going to change. He says, if you love God, that's great. You say that, you confess that, you're all, you're all into it. You're so into the word of God and obedience to the word of God, but you forget one major important point. You're supposed to love your brother and your sister in the Lord. You're to love your brother and sister in the Lord. You've been in darkness with that, he's saying. You have issues with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. You are not in a good space right now. You're in darkness. But until now, we're going to change this, he says. You're going to, I'm bringing that to light. I'm, I'm writing this to you right now so that you can change your mindset and choose to repent of that and for, ask for forgiveness of the fact that you have hated your brother and sisters in, of the, uh, in Christ. Notice that he didn't say other people who are non-believers. He didn't say anything about them. He's saying the biggest issue is you're not loving your brother and sister of, in the Lord. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Oh, so fresh. That's why I love this fellowship because it's just there's a love for God and a love for each other here. And it, it keeps us from stumbling. It keeps us from being in darkness. It keeps us from getting to a point where the enemy can get a foothold to say, you don't need to go to church. You need to stay away from those Christians. All the junk that the, Satan just keeps throwing into your head. Or you are the one that's causing yourself to be in darkness. Because you choose to not love your brother or sister or both. John makes it clear to him. He who loves his brother or sister abides in Jesus. Abides in the light. And there's no cause for stumbling in him. But, ooh, transition word. But, big but. He who hates his brother or sister is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has what? Blinded his or her eyes. We close it up here with this one, my brothers and sisters. The new commandment, the great commandment, Everything, all the prophets, all the law, everything hangs on two things. Two important points for you and I to remember. 
to love God and to love others. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, Jesus says, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Back to the walk. Jesus loved his Father, Heavenly Father, and he loved the people. Does that reflect your mind today for you? Do you love God and do you love God's people? If not, then repent. Because it's sin. You're in darkness. Because he says he who hates his brother is in darkness. You're walking in darkness. You think in darkness. You behave in darkness. Oh, my brother and sister, let me, let me put one more point. You may, may, may cause you really unfeather un, your feathers. May you start flapping on me a little bit here, but... But I, I do say this with much love. Don't forget, if you're married, that is your brother, that is your sister. That is your brother, that is your sister. You are to love them. Becoming a spouse does not change. You become one. So if you hate yourself right now because you're living a miserable life, do not. It will. It does cause much darkness in that relationship. You both must come to the light. Come to Jesus. Let him heal through forgiveness, confession of sins, and heal your marriage. Don't forget your children are brothers and sisters. If you're not, something's not right with your children and you, there's darkness. You must confess it. You must give it to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Don't wait. Live and walk according to the word of God. And you will abide in his love every day. Each and every day. Because there is no darkness. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your mercy upon us that we can come to you freely and confess our sins to you directly. We can confess all things to you directly. You see all things, you know. You exactly know exactly what you felt that was placed upon on you on that cross. But you're our advocate. You're our propitiation. You're our friend. You're our savior. You're God Almighty. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here today, Lord, that they would just come and spend time with you. Each and every day, walk with you in spirit and truth. 
And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, has not recognized they're a sinner that needs to be saved, I pray right now by your Holy Spirit, you're speaking to them right now. And you're saying, open the door. I have a gift for you of salvation. If you choose me, you choose to want that and be set free. I pray, Holy Spirit, keep the enemy away. Allow that person to make the right decision to surrender their life to you this day. In Jesus' name, amen.